If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. As you know, there are just a few weeks left until Easter, or as I like to call it, Resurrection Day, Resurrection Weekend. And so today I'm beginning a brand new series entitled The Road to Destiny. And I want to begin today by reading from Luke chapter 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. The title of this first message in our series, The Road to Destiny, the title of this message today is Roadblocks on the road to destiny. Roadblocks on the road to destiny. Between now and Easter uh, in this series, we will focus on some key passages leading up to that final week in which Jesus gave up his life in the city of Jerusalem. This passage in Luke chapter 9 starts the journey. In the passage we just read, Jesus sets a prime example of obedience for us. Luke tells us he resolutely set out from Galilee to Jerusalem. And from this point on in the Gospel of Luke, Jerusalem is constantly in sight for Jesus. From Luke chapter 9 through uh, chapter 19, all of Jesus' movements are seen in relationship to the destiny that awaits him in Jerusalem. Now it only takes about three days walk to walk from Galilee to Jerusalem... But Jesus took an entire six months for the trip, teaching and preaching in various cities along the way. And as he went, a small company of disciples followed him. I want you to imagine yourself today as part of that company of disciples following Jesus as he preaches and teaches on the way to Jerusalem. And in a sense, over the next few weeks, we're going to uh, walk that road to Jerusalem with Jesus uh, and gain some insight into not only his destiny, but ours as well. Jesus had told his disciples in Luke 9, 22, 
The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. For Jesus, destiny meant suffering and death. And so this realization cast a shadow over the remaining passages in Luke's gospel. As he walks toward Jerusalem, we need to understand, he walks toward a certain death. For we who follow Christ, Jerusalem becomes a symbol of discipleship. Will we take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him? What might stand in the way of our following him? In our passage today, we discover five roadblocks on the road to Jerusalem, the road to destiny. Five barriers that stood in the way of people following Christ and can stand in our way as well. And so as we look at these roadblocks together this morning, I want to challenge you to consider them in relation to your own life. Are any of these roadblocks preventing you from walking in the pathway of discipleship? That's a question you need to answer. Or have you gotten past these obstacles so that you may continue following Jesus all the way to your destiny? Those are some questions to ask this morning. So for the next few minutes, I want to answer the question, what roadblocks arise on the way to our God-given destiny? The first roadblock that we see here is the roadblock of rejection. The roadblock of rejection. This occurs whenever someone outright rejects Jesus and doesn't begin to walk the discipleship road with him. Now, Jesus knew that he was entering the final phase of his ministry. Soon his days on earth would be completed and he would return to the Father. But first, he must complete his mission in obedience to the Father. And that meant going to his fate in Jerusalem. Verse 51, you'll notice, says Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The Greek literally says he set his face toward Jerusalem. Now here, Luke is echoing the prophet Isaiah, which, uh, in, 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 who in Isaiah 50, verse 7, prophetically says concerning Jesus, I have set my face like flint. This Hebrew phrase implies fixedness of purpose, especially in the face of difficulty or danger. It means that Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem no matter what awaited him there. We read in verse 52, he sent his messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. And the word sent is the Greek word apostello, uh, which, from which we get our English word apostle. It means one sent, and it, it refers to one who was sent out as an official uh, representative uh, of uh, someone else. And so Jesus sends these messengers ahead of him as official representatives to prepare the way for his arrival. Luke tells us they went into the Samaritan village, uh, but they were not welcome there. You see, you may know that the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. Uh, and verse 53 says the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Uh, they did not receive Jesus nor his messengers. They offered no hospitality. They made sure that Jesus and his disciples knew they were not welcome. All because he was a Jew heading to Jerusalem. 
This was offensive to the Samaritans because they had their own shrine for worship at Mount Gerizim and they refused to acknowledge Jerusalem as the true center of worship. You might remember in John chapter 4 uh, when uh, Jesus met the woman by the well in Samaria and she said, our forefathers worshipped on this mountain but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So there was antagonism between the Jews and the Samaritans. And in this case, they didn't even reject Jesus by, because of understanding who he was. They didn't reject him because he was the son of God or because of his preaching or his message. They simply rejected him because he was going to Jerusalem. And people have been rejecting him ever since. The roadblock of rejection. Back when the Old West was being settled, pioneers flocked across the country to California and Oregon. And in one particular spot on the eastern slopes of the Rockies, there was a large dirt-covered rock protruding out of the ground. And it was right in the middle of the pathway. And a number of the wagons that would go over that would hit that rock and have their wheels break. And uh, it was a problem. So finally, somebody dug that rock out of the ground and they threw it into the nearby stream. Well, the rock was big enough that for a time it served as a stepping stone for someone who was crossing the stream. But then as the area became settled, one man built a log cabin near that stream and he took that rock and put it in his cabin for a doorstop. Well, civilization grew and uh, railroads sprung up nearby and a lot of people were coming by. And His grandson, years later, came for a visit. And he had gone east to study geology. And he came to visit and he examined that rock that his grandfather was using as a doorstop. And you know what he found? He found it was one of the biggest gold nuggets that that area had ever seen. It was invaluable once the dirt and everything was taken off and it was realized to be what it was. You see, to many people, Jesus is just a stumbling stone or a stepping stone. But when they get to know who he is, they discover that he is the greatest treasure that there is. But people have a choice to accept this treasure they find in Jesus that's freely offered to them or to reject him. I want to say this morning, I make no assumptions about anyone who's here or anyone who's watching online. I want to say to anyone who has actively rejected Christ or even passively ignored him, which is also a form of rejection, don't reject Jesus. Don't turn him away. He is the only hope for this world this mess of a world, amen? He's the only hope, and he's the only hope for you. Don't reject him. And I would say to believers, it is our responsibility as Christians to make sure that people understand who Jesus is, why he came, and how much he loves every one of us so they can make a decision uh, whether or not to accept or reject him based on the truth rather than a false impression of what Christianity is all about. You don't have to read much on social media or other places online to discover what much of our culture and society thinks of Christianity, do you? Here's a hint. It's not all good. 
Matter of fact, most of it isn't. It's our job to declare the truth of who Jesus is. So at least when people accept or reject Jesus, they do so with the knowledge of what they're doing. We need to be wary of the roadblock of rejection. What's the second roadblock we see here? It's the roadblock of judgmentalism. In verses 54 through 56, when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. Good old James and John, nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, and for good reason. Uh, they are indignant at the Samaritans for rejecting Jesus, and they seek vengeance. They remember the prophet Elijah who called down fire on his enemies, and they uh, said, we can do the same thing. Lord, let us call fire down and just consume them. Now, you can't knock their faith here, okay? They believe they had the faith in God that they had the authority to do this. God had given them power to heal and cast out demons. They say, why not call down fire also? As Elijah did. And they had just recently been on the Mount of Transfiguration where Elijah appeared. And so they had this, uh, you know, this, this faith rush, you know. Let's call down fire. But Jesus rebuked them. And it says that they left and they went to another village. Why did he rebuke them? Well, there's no problem with their faith, but there's a problem with their zeal. The problem was their attitude, and they completely misunderstood Jesus' mission. Jesus did not want them to call down fire because he didn't come to destroy, but he came to save. When Jesus sent his disciples out on previous trips, he told them, as in Luke 9, verse 5, if people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. How many know shaking dust off your feet when you're rejected is a far cry from calling down fire to consume people? Calling down fire was a sign of immediate judgment with no hope for salvation. And so Jesus rebukes them. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 25, Paul says this, listen to this, about our attitude toward those who do not accept Jesus. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance and lead them to a knowledge of the truth. As Christians, we are called to be kind and gentle, not resentful of people who oppose us. When you share the gospel, when people uh, uh, issue a rejection, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. And so we need to be careful not to act as judge and jury. A pastor had decided to preach a series on what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He spoke of being judged by the same method we use to judge others. He told them Jesus said we need to love our enemies and turn the other cheek. He got into things like forgiveness and pointing out that forgiving others was crucial to our be, being forgiven, as it says in the Lord's Prayer. Midway into a series, he found himself stunned in the silence when one of his congregation came up to him and said, Pastor, when are you going to stop picking on us and start preaching about sin? It occurred to the pastor that it's easy to see what other people do uh, as wrong and ignore the words Jesus spoke about our own behavior. That's true, isn't it? Why is a spirit of judgmentalism a roadblock to discipleship? Well, think about it. 
How can you and I possibly walk with Jesus to the cross when we have a judging spirit? The roadway of discipleship is the path of the cross. The purpose of the cross is salvation, not judgment. Yes, all who reject Jesus will be judged. But I have news for you today. We're not the ones to do the judging. Did you hear me? I said all who reject Jesus will be judged, but it's not our role to do the judging. James 4.12 says there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? It's easy to become judgmental, isn't it? It's easy to look at others and their, uh, their broken lives and their addictions and uh, their habits and their lifestyles and be like the Pharisees who see themselves as so righteous and judge the others. Listen, that person who you rub shoulders with who maybe gives you a hard time and, and, and you just... Uh, you just don't think you can stand another day around them. They're a soul for whom Jesus died. Jesus loves them. And so their biggest problem isn't what they do or how they act. You may feel like it is. Their biggest problem is they need Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. So we need to be careful of roadblock number two, the roadblock of judgmentalism. What's the third roadblock on the road to destiny? It's the roadblock of hasty commitment. A hasty commitment. The, these last three roadblocks center on a trio of potential disciples. We don't know for sure if any of them overcame the challenges put forth to them by Jesus. We hope so, but it, it's probably unlikely. So what are the final three roadblocks these men needed to climb over? Well, first, the roadblock of hasty commitment. Verses 57 through 58 say, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, this man's words to Jesus were admirable. The Gospel of Matthew tells us he was a teacher of the law. A teacher of the law in those days would normally view discipleship as merely following a man's teachings. But this man wanted to take it a step further. He wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to join Jesus' company. And he was willing to go anywhere. He said, wherever you go. Man, that's, that's a great offer, isn't it? This was a wonderful declaration of faith. And you could just see the other disciples standing around there, maybe applauding, certainly shaking their heads uh, and, and, uh, or nodding their heads, I should say, in agreement uh, that, boy, this is a great declaration of discipleship. But Jesus saw the roadblock. This man was saying all the right words, but he had not counted the cost. And so Jesus challenged his commitment by referring to the fact that foxes and birds, they have places of rest, but Jesus had no place of rest. It's one thing to follow Jesus when the path is smooth and the burden is light, but what about when the going gets tough? Uh, Jesus and his disciples had just come from a town where they'd been rejected, refused hospitality. This was part of Christ's humiliation, rejection, and suffering. Jesus did not come to this earth to live in comfort and luxury. He came to suffer and to serve. 
And here, so here Jesus is helping this man to count the cost uh, of discipleship. This teacher of the law made a bold statement, but he didn't think through the implications of that statement. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Peter. Remember Peter in Matthew 26? He said to Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. We know how that worked out, don't we? He denied the Lord three times, made a great statement, but didn't count the cost. In Luke 14, Jesus illustrated the necessity of counting the cost before one commits to Christ with two, two examples. First, he referenced a builder who uh, begins to uh, build a tower, but doesn't consider the cost doesn't consider the cost of the construction project. That may not turn out too well. Or a king who uh, would go to war, but first he needs to count the cost, count if he can uh, have a reasonable chance of winning that war. There's a quote by a man named J.C. Ryle. He said this, It costs something to be a Christian. Let that never be forgotten. To be a lukewarm Christian and go to church is cheap and easy work. But to hear Christ's voice, follow Christ, believe in Christ, and confess Christ requires much self-denial. It will cost us our sins, our self-righteousness, our ease, and our worldliness. All must be given up. Our Lord Jesus Christ would have us thoroughly understands us, understand this. He bids us count the cost. This morning, do you desire to follow Christ? then you need to count the cost. It is a lifetime commitment. And sometimes, you see, we don't hear too much about this, sometimes Christ calls you and me to suffer. It's a life of obedience, a lifelong commitment. Yes, it's filled with joy, but we must count the cost. Jesus said, if anyone would follow me, let him take up his cross and follow after me. Don't let the roadblock of hasty commitment keep you from following Jesus all the way. And then the fourth roadblock on the road to destiny is the roadblock of delay. The roadblock of delay. This is the opposite of hasty commitment that I just talked about. The person who gets stopped by the roadblock of hasty commitment jumps too quickly to follow Jesus without counting the cost. The person who gets stopped by the roadblock of delay, however, waits too long to follow Jesus. In verses 59 through 60, it says, He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, Matthew's account of this uh, incident tells us this man was already a disciple of Christ. That may mean he was a disciple in the, in the broad sense of believing in Jesus' teachings. Uh, but now Jesus calls on him to take the next step. And he says, I want to do that, but first let me go and bury my father. He was willing to put Jesus' call to discipleship on hold. You see, anytime we say to the Lord, yes, Lord, but, yes, Lord, but first, there's a problem. Now, what this man asked for was to go bury his father. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Burial was very important for the Jews. 
Uh, burying your parents was considered part of honoring your father and mother. Uh, the, the obligation to bury uh, relatives took precedence even over religious duty, duties. Even priests who were normally forbidden to touch dead bodies were allowed to do so in the case of relatives. It would have been scandalous for a pious Jew to leave this duty undone. And, and, but, but some commentators feel that this man's father may have still been alive. And that he was saying, Lord, just, just a short time more. May, my, my, my father may not last long, but when he passes, I will go and bury him and then I'll follow you. This could have been a delay of several years. And Jesus' answer at first seems insensitive and uncaring. Let the dead bury their own dead. But what is he saying? Jesus is saying this. Let those who are spiritually dead bury the physically dead. Yes, it's important to bury the dead, but right now Jesus had a more pressing claim on this man's life to proclaim the gospel to those who had not heard it. You see, Jesus' call takes precedence even over the most solemn personal obligation. Regardless of whether the father was living dead or near dead at the time, this was a radical call for commitment that could endure no delay. An incident from the American Revolution illustrates what tragedy can result from unnecessary delay. It's reported that Colonel Rawl, commander of the British troops in Trenton, New Jersey, was playing cards when a courier brought an urgent message that General George Washington and his troops were crossing the Delaware River to come to Trenton. Rawl was busy playing a game, and he put the letter in his pocket and didn't read it until the game was finished. Then when he read it and he realized the seriousness of the attack, he hurriedly tried to uh, muster his troops and get them ready, but it was too late. He and many of his men were killed. The rest of his regiment was captured. Someone said of this incident, only a few minutes delay cost him his life, his honor, and the liberty of his soldiers. Too many people have been sidetracked from following Jesus by the roadblock of delay. They say, I'm not ready to commit to Christ just yet. Maybe next year. I want to follow you, Lord, but first let me do this. First let me do this. First I need to, to take care of this. I remember when, when I was a, a, a child, a young man growing up, and I had a neighborhood friend. I was raised in the church, raised to share your faith. I shared the gospel with him. I remember his answer. I'm not ready to become a Christian. I'm not ready. It's not time. Tomorrow. Whether it's becoming a Christian or answering a call uh, to do the work of the Lord Jesus, the Word of God says that now is the time. Today is the day. That there's no room for delay. Don't make a hasty commitment to Christ, yes, but don't delay in following Him either. Count the cost, then choose to follow now, not later. If you're here today, if you're watching online, and you've maybe heard sermons before, you've maybe read the Word of God, you've had the way of salvation explained to you before, and you've said, boy, I, I know I really need that in my life. I'm just not ready. It's just not time. Let me tell you respectfully, it is time. Today is the day. Now is the time. Be careful of the roadblock of delay. What's the fifth and final roadblock on the road to discipleship? It's the roadblock of a divided heart. 
In verses 61 and 62, it says, Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Once again, this sounds like a reasonable request, doesn't it? Let me go say goodbye. 800 years earlier, Elisha, when called by the prophet Elijah, said, let me say goodbye to my family, and Elijah granted that request. But now one greater than Elijah is here. And uh, the problem here is with the word but. Lord, I will follow you, but let me do this. Imagine a young man proposing to a woman, will you marry me with all the earnestness? And she starts out her reply by saying, yes, but, guys, that would really make you feel secure, wouldn't it? I'll marry you, but, that's what this man was saying. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. If you're plowing a field and you're looking back, you're not going to plow too straight a row, are you? You're, I've said this many times before. You're driving a car and you're looking back at where you've been. You might want to not know where you're going to end up. <laughs> Once you've made the decision to follow Christ, it needs to be all or nothing at all. Jesus says the person who started out with Christ but now looks back is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. This would be a disciple with a divided heart. His mind was still partly on the life he would leave behind to follow Jesus. Following Jesus requires singleness of purpose. He needs to be first and foremost. He needs to be number one. It's not, Lord, I'll follow you, but I'll follow you and, Lord, I'll follow you, period. That's what it needs to be. My, uh, my daughter and her husband and my grandson have a, a golden doodle dog. By the way, my, my, my grandson is coming for Easter. I'm so excited. My wife's a little bit excited too, as you can imagine. But he's bringing his mom too. Um, but they have a golden doodle whose name is Elf. Okay, that was his name before they got. And he's more like a horse. He's like this big, okay? You could, you, most of you here could probably ride him. But he is absolutely, and Shelby, my mother-in-law has, has met, he is the, abs I've, I've been around a lot of dogs in my life. He is the friendliest dog I've ever seen. I mean, he really is. He will take to anyone. He will come to anyone he, he loves to be rubbed and scratched, and I know a lot of dogs do, but he will come, if you're sitting down, he will come and, and a little bit forcefully press his body, his flank, against you. So you rub him, and he will, he, he, and you'll be sitting down, and he'll come and he'll put his head down like this. So you rub the, the back of his head and, and the back of his neck. He will play tug of war, he will play fetch with anybody. But as friendly as he is with pretty much everyone, he absolutely loves my son-in-law, Kevin. If Kevin, to the point where if Kevin and someone else, even my daughter Lauren, were standing on opposite sides of the room and they called to him in the middle, there's no contest who, who, to whom he would go. He would, it's Kevin every time. 
and he absolutely, looking out the front window when Kevin's coming in from, from a day at work, he goes bananas. And like I said, he is the friendliest dog. He, he'd be friendly to anybody. But when it comes to Kevin, when it comes to his master, boy, he's number one. And everything and everyone else is, when Kevin's in the room, everything, everyone else is secondary, unimportant, because daddy's home. Boy, that's how it should be with us and Jesus, shouldn't it? No one compares to Jesus. It's Jesus first and everyone and everything else is a way, way, way far distant second. That's the kind of devotion that Jesus demands and more importantly, deserves. We can't serve God wholeheartedly with a divided heart. I ask you respectfully today, whether here today or watching online, who or what is number one in your life? Is there someone or something on an equal plane or even above Jesus? Even your spouse, whom you should love from the bottom of your heart, and your children, even my grandson, come after Jesus. You can't have a divided heart. You can't love the things of this world and love Jesus wholeheartedly at the same time. You can't do it. He's calling for wholehearted devotion. Mark my words, you will never reach your God-given destiny. Not completely, not fully. You'll never reach your God-given destiny with a divided heart. You must avoid that roadblock and follow after Jesus wholeheartedly. How about it this morning? Respectfully, I ask, are you following him with your whole heart? Or do you have a divided heart? In conclusion this morning, Jesus was resolute, as we said, in his march on the road to destiny, a road to Jerusalem. Nothing could dissuade him from fulfilling his God-given task. But he asks us also to walk the road to our destiny, to walk with him in discipleship. What are the roadblocks that arise on the way to our God-given destiny? We talked about them. The roadblock of rejection. Don't reject Jesus. Don't turn him away. He loves you. There's no one who will ever love you more there's no other way of life but following Jesus that will ever bring you satisfaction. The roadblock of rejection, the roadblock of judgmentalism, feeling superior, looking down on others, judging others. That's a roadblock on our road to destiny. The roadblock of hasty commitment. I can't tell you as pastor, I've been, I've been a senior pastor for 30 years now this year, I can't tell you how many people, and, and, and please don't misunderstand me, I love when people are enthusiastic about following Jesus. I mean, what, what, what else in life is there to be enthusiastic about any more than following Jesus? But I've seen it many, many times. You have to, like a shooting star, man, people are just so excited and, and just, oh, they want to set the world on fire. And then what happens? They stop coming to church. They stop reading the word. They stop 
their uh, uh, intentional pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ that fizzles out. Uh, they didn't count the cost. Life gets tough, and they give up the roadblock of hasty commitment, then the roadblock of delay. Lord, I, 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 Lord, I, I want to follow you. Lord, I, I, know, I know you've gifted me and called me to this ministry. And I, Lord, I, I, I know the church needs help. I know I need to get involved in ministry. And I'm going to do that one of these days. But first, you see, I have to take care of this. Lord, I, first, I've I got to get all these problems worked out. Can I tell you something? If you're waiting to do what uh, God calls you to do, to get all your problems out of the way first, all those little nagging things that are in your life that you can't seem to get around, if you're waiting for that to happen, and then you say, God, I'm going to follow you wholeheartedly, it'll never happen. The roadblock of delay, and then the roadblock of a divided heart. Jesus and. The Lord and. Something else on the same level or above him. We're called to follow him wholeheartedly today.